I remember one day during my senior year of college, it was a beautiful afternoon, kind of a day like today, sunny, great, and I was on my way back to my room after class, just minding my own business, doing my normal thing, and one of the chaplains on campus, Father Michael Duty, went speeding by me in his golf cart. And he was always on that golf cart, and I remember it well, because he had three wheels, which is kind of unique for a golf cart. And he flies by me, and then all of a sudden he kind of stops and turns around and he goes, John Eckert, I want to see you in my office. Okay, Father. So I'm walking along, and Father Duty, was, he was wonderful. I'd known him at that point for several years, being in school. He was the type of guy, he'd come to some of the parties and things, and he was like, you know the ones like punch you in the arm, but it actually kind of hurts? Like he was that sort of guy, like kind of, you know, strong in your face sort of a fella. So I go into the office, Father, how are you? And he goes, what are you doing next year? I said, well, I'm not sure yet. I said, I'm thinking maybe about this master's degree program in political communication. I've been talking to my advisor and brings the majors, political science, communication together. It's this program, Texas A&M, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, I thought you were going to the seminary. I said, well, you know, I think, you know, maybe at some point that, that it's, you know, it's on the horizon. I'm thinking about it and I may do that, but I think first I'm, I'm going to do this master's program. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me and he said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like he yelled it, like hitting the ceiling. And he goes, either you go into seminary or you don't. He goes, if the master's program is supposed to happen, it will, but don't run away from your vocation. Don't run away from God. And I'll tell you, that conversation was uncomfortable. It was direct. It was in your face. And to this day, it's probably one of the conversations in my life I'm most grateful for. I mean, I needed that kind of push. I was very happy to just kind of keep the status quo, to just kind of go on to, to graduate school and just sort of kick the can down the road about, you know, do I really want to do this? I don't know. And it was, it was helpful. I'm grateful that he brought on the discomfort, so to speak. And when you think about it, you look at these readings today, they're uncomfortable, they're direct, they're harsh, they're right in your face. But think about this, who is the one speaking, the one who loves us more than anyone, right? I mean, God himself, fully human, fully divine, Jesus Christ is the one who is saying these really strong things, right? Do you think that I have come to establish peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And the thing is, when you first hear that, it's like, wait a second. You know, I thought when he was born, you know, we hear peace on earth, goodwill to men. When, when he meets with the apostles in the upper room at the re after the resurrection, it says, peace be with you, right? Remember, when he says, peace be with you, it's after he's gone through his passion. It's after he's died on the cross. It's after he's risen from the dead. Jesus didn't come to give us the peace of the status quo, right? He didn't become one of us to live for us, die for us, rise from the dead for us to say, you guys are basically doing fine. Don't worry about it. You're okay. Just do what you're doing. No. I mean, ultimately, he didn't come to just tell us, just, you know, peacefully go along and live the status quo. He wants greatness for us. He wants us to live in the fire of his love, to be on fire with love for him. And notice, like, the way, this, this fire that he wishes was already blazing. It's this baptism with which I must be baptized and how great is my anguish until it's accomplished. What's that baptism? His death on the cross his laying down of everything for us. And where's the anguish coming from? It's not that he's worried about just about the pain. We hear it in this beautiful second reading today. 
and he despised the shame. Why? For the sake of the joy that lay before him. He wants to show us how great his love is. And there's no better vision of that than his death for us on the cross. He gives us everything and wants us to know that love and to live it to the fullest. Now, the sad thing is in this day and age, in this post-resurrection age, Jesus is really and truly risen from the dead, comes to us in the Eucharist, is with us at every Mass. And when you look at the statistics out there, it's clearly not sinking in, you know? I, I mean, there's so often these different things that are going on where you'll hear a different survey that happened and only 30% of Catholics believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. It's an issue. And that's why our bishops right now are leading this two-year Eucharistic revival to make sure that people can see this is real. I mean, that his love is there, that he wants us to be on fire with his love. I love the quote from the great Southern author Flannery O'Connor. She was at a party, and you know, it's like socialites talking about things, and this one lady says, oh, the Eucharist, isn't it a lovely symbol? And Flannery O'Connor goes, if it's just a symbol, to hell with it. And I'll tell you, as someone who had that moment in college, right, why would I do what I'm doing if this is just a symbol? His love is here. He wants us in everyday life to be on fire with love for him. And he doesn't want us to just kind of go about the status quo day-to-day life. And I'll tell you, of like getting to this point where we live in a society where only 30% of Catholics believe in the real presence of the Eucharist, something's got to happen, right? Because we can see it here, we can see it all over the place, where like our current system of the way that we hand on the faith It just isn't doing the trick. I think if I'm not mistaken, you know, one of the biggest denominations in the United States is former Catholics, people who have walked away from this great treasure. And I think part of the problem is we kind of go through this like assembly line way of handing on the faith. It's like, okay, show up for baptism. We'll see in a couple years when you turn seven, eight, somewhere in there, we're going to give you first communion. And then, like, when it's time for confirmation, maybe you'll go to confession again, and I'll hear once again, I was here five years ago for first communion, and then you get confirmed, and then it's like, well, see you later. And, now don't get me wrong, I know that's not everybody. I know that not everyone goes through that, and I would say we're probably beating the curve. However, there's still a problem there. And the way that we do it, and it goes right back to the time of the Council of Trent, to the Protestant Reformation, when it's like, we got to do something about this. School. We're going to teach them more about Christ. Now, teaching is good. we got to learn about the faith. But the love of our Lord, the fire that he's talking about, it's not just another subject amongst the many different subjects. He's not right there with biology and then theology. That theology involves a relationship. He wants fire. He wants you one day to be in that joy, in that great cloud of witnesses, of people who love him so much that they'll stand up against the status quo. Today, in fact, is the feast day of St. Maximilian Kolbe, that awesome Franciscan priest who, in the midst of Auschwitz, basically hell on earth, is able to stand up and lay down his life for another man. Now, so many people just went along with what's going on in Germany, and yet because of the joy that Christ has given him, the real fire of love, he can stand up and do that in the midst of a place like that. That is the kind of fire and love and joy that's on offer for all of us. 
It's not just something for just Wednesday night for 45 minutes of learning a couple of things for seven months a year, and then we never see it again after confirmation. And don't get me wrong, the way it's been done, we've had some amazing people. I've seen them in the three parishes I've gotten to be in, some wonderful catechists, some amazing kids, but too many don't get to see the love and the fire that should be a part of every moment of every day. And so what we've done is we're tearing down the whole faith formation system, and we're trying something new this year. We have hired a director of evangelization. His name is E.J. Serderis. He's wonderful. Now, and like I said, we've hired someone. We didn't like bring on a program. We didn't ask a particular institute to come in and this is what they do. No, we're, we're starting from scratch. And so we, we've formed this program called FIDE, which in Latin means faith. And what it stands for, F-I-D-E, is formation in discipleship and evangelization. And this is the great news. It's for everybody, all right? Well, first of all, for the families that have kiddos from basically birth to seniors in high school, we get you signed up, and we're going to be giving you all sorts of things. Every month, we're putting together a different packet. I have it right here. It's wonderful. It's accessible. It's online. It's in English. It's in Spanish. EJ has put this together, and each month will have a different theme. This month is prayer. You've got to pray. You've got to spend time with our Lord. And I know all of us, it's like, what are the basic definitions of it? Well, he provides it. Gives us some definitions of the different type of prayer, what some saints have said of prayer, about the purpose of prayer. And then this is what I love, too. When you get to this point in the booklet, page eight and nine, he gives you all sorts of you know, further resources, videos and talks, things you can listen to, things you can work on with the kids under different headings. First one, resources for personal prayer as an adult, how to pray with young children, how to pray with middle school age kids, how to pray with teens, additional resources for family prayer. How about Mary? How does she help us in prayer? The church in prayer, personal prayer, prayer resources, prayer for teenagers, all sorts of great stuff, all on offer. And basically, all we need you to do is just come in if you have children, get set up with EJ. We're going to be getting you all this stuff and helping you at home, not just for a couple of moments in the classroom and then it's over, but to be letting that fire into every moment of your day because our Lord wants us to have it all the time. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, I don't have any young kids. I guess this isn't about me. Aha, it is about you too. So one thing that goes with this is what we're calling saps. That's right, I think you're a bunch of saps. And this is where it comes from, right? It stands for, you ready for this? Sacramental Accountability Partner. Now what is this about? Okay, anything in life that we gotta work at, right? When you're trying to do it by yourself, doesn't go that well. I really like the comedian Jim Gaffigan, and I love his thing about when he tried to work out for a while. He goes to the gym, works out real hard, he goes, that was great, I'm gonna do that every day. And then the next morning he goes, well, not every day. And then the next week, you know, I'm good, I'm fine. It doesn't really matter. And we all go through it, right? Like we're okay for a little while, but we need some help. And I'll tell you, I don't want to just say to random parishioners like, Erwin, I want you to teach the eighth grade catechesis. That's great, but not all of us can do that. But you know what I can say? Hey, Erwin, I want you to be teamed up with this family. I want you to call them at least once a month. I want you to pray for them. I want you to read the prayer booklet too so you can grow in prayer. You can help mom and dad grow in prayer. And then we can hand it on to the kiddos. Why? Because our faith isn't just for second graders, eighth graders, and then no more. It's for all of us, every day, all the time. He's given us this fire, this hope, this joy that overcomes just the stagnation and death in our culture. 
He wants us to live forever and quite frankly, to start it right now. And I know, parents, it ain't easy. I get it. It's one more gift I have in in being close to my sister and her six kids. They just took off a week ago. It breaks my heart. I'm still sad. But I know that it is crazy trying to get everything together, to get them ready for school, to get them here, to to hand on the faith. I know we need help. I'm going to tell you one story because I love it so much. I got to be with them last year on like a couple days during the week. So there's, out of the six of them, four of them are getting ready to go to school. And all of a sudden, David, the second grader, is in my room, and he goes, Uncle Johnny, I can't take a shower. I'll get my school costume all wet. And that made me so happy. For so many different reasons. It's his school costume, which I thought was wonderful. I don't understand how it's going to get all wet. It's like, buddy, do you know how a shower works? And I know, like, getting that all together, I know it's not easy. And that's why we need help. And quite frankly, the family of the parish is here to do that. And we're here to help empower you to do that. Why? Why are we going to do it different? Why are we going to go about it in this way? Because sometimes just the peace of the status quo, okay, it leads to 70% of people not believing in the Eucharist. or not showing up for Mass, and we have a treasure. It's time to come and be with that and for all of us to get that. All of us diving in. Not just because we get a guilt trip and it's all terrible, no, but because he doesn't want us to just slide along, right? He wants us to follow him. I mean, gosh, the closing line of the second reading today, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Our faith is not one of the lazy river, right? When we just kind of go along, we don't grow closer to Christ, we move away from him. And ultimately, to be able to live in his love is so good. And to be able to share it is such a gift. One of the greatest tricks the devil has played on us in this age is to make us think that sharing our faith is judgmental and harsh and terrible. But when you think about it, this gift of this fire of his love, it's the greatest thing that there is. And it lasts into eternity. And so the more that we can dive into it, the more that we can live in it now and encourage one another to do it. And I know sometimes we feel like, oh, I don't want to seem like Father Duty being so harsh. But I'll tell you, I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for what he gave me, and I strive to do the same thing. Now, granted, my head doesn't hit the ceiling, and I'm not yelling at people all the time. However, this is so good. And we're all called to live in that fire now. And we're going to help you every step of the way. Praise be Jesus Christ.